God expects us to worship Him with our rest, whether that's a quick catnap or a full day of rest. But what does it look like to celebrate God one day in seven? Are we allowed to travel? Are we allowed to work overtime? What does it take to remember a day of rest to keep it holy? The main considerations for modern Christians include the kind of work in which we engage, the kind of relaxation in which we engage, when we're supposed to do all of this engaging, and most importantly, how all of it is to be done as an intentional act of worship to God. The one true God of the universe has existed since eternity past in ultimate perfection. He spoke the cosmos into existence for his soul, honor, and glory. He moved heaven and earth to redeem mankind, even though we have nothing to offer him. And he's given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word. He deserves our worship. He deserves our adoration. He deserves our praise. I'm your host, A.M. Brewster, and this is the Celebration of God. I'm super looking forward to getting really practical today, but I do need to start right here at the outset by making a couple things clear. I know I haven't done this topic the justice I want to do. I know that there are those of you who've heard what I've said and are potentially more confused than you were before. I'm sorry, by the way. There are others of you who patently disagree with me and believe that I'm wrong. Hopefully, we can still be friends. And there are likely those who think I'm saying something I'm not. So I pray that after today's episode, a lot of those loose ends will all be tied up. And if nothing else, I really hope that we'll be able to agree on the following four points. Number one, God does not command New Testament Christians to observe Old Testament Sabbaths. Old Testament Sabbaths were a compilation of two things. One, it was an eternal expectation for the believer's rest. But two, it included theocratic expectations that were unique to the children of Israel at different times and in different ways. However, just because the Old Testament Sabbath included point two doesn't mean that point one has no bearing on our lives. None of that means that God doesn't have expectations for our rest. Therefore, number two, God does expect us to glorify Him in our rest. Whether it's in an afternoon nap, quiet time, vacation, recreation, a day of rest, or sleep, as followers of Christ, He deserves a preeminence in it all. And number three, God does command us to participate in the activities and have the motivations that we're going to outline today. Now, I know that was vague, didn't get really specific, but we'll get to them shortly. And then as we synchronize all of this information, we should be able to agree that number four, observing a weekly day of rest to the glory of God is vital for disciples of Christ. Now, I know the jury may still be out on that one, but let's wait to be too dogmatic until the end of the show. And of course, we have a link to today's episode notes, transcript, and the Day of Rest resources for you in the description of today's episode. Now, let's take a look at the motivation for a weekly day of rest, what we're to avoid on that day, what we're to embrace on that day, and when we're to take that day of rest. Number one, the motivation for a day of rest is God's preeminence. My friends, this is the all-important focus we must have. Most of the Jews absolutely botched the whole Sabbath purpose because they made it about following man-made rules. They did what pleased them. But remember what Isaiah 58, 13-14 said, If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride in the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." We quote Colossians 1.18 around here an awful lot. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. 
The phrase translated first place refers to priority and preeminence. To be preeminent is to have paramount rank, dignity, or importance. If we enter this discussion trying to see what we can get out of it, if we're trying to earn brownie points with God, if we're just trying to make ourselves feel comfortable or be able to check off some religious bullet points, God is not going to be pleased. Anything we don't do or do on our day of rest must be to the honor and glory of God as an act of worship to Him. So, if rest is all about ceasing, from what are we to cease? Number two, what to avoid on a day of rest. I originally had this point later in my outline, but it quickly became clear to me that we had to deal with this one first. But I'm not going to spend too much time on it because, let's be honest, God doesn't spend a ton of time on it. I just want to make sure that we understand the basic principle that God sets out. But there are four short points that will help us to have this understanding about God's expectations for us. A. We need to cease everything that will disrupt our physical rest. One day, I want to share all the medical research and scientific data that shows that God's plan was always the best. We need physical rest, and there are are two kinds of rest that are absolutely necessary. We need the physical rest that allows our bodies to rejuvenate. This involves healthy amounts of daily sleep as well as a one-in-seven rhythm of body stewardship. We are fools if we believe that God is glorified by the never-ending, body-racking busyness of our modern existence. It's artificial, it's unsustainable without chemical enhancements, it's unhealthy, and it's biblically unwise. And yes, there are times we must push ourselves to the breaking point. Wars and emergencies and the occasional unhealthy sacrifice for the gospel all have their place. We must never back down from such endeavors. But if such endeavors are the weekly norm of your existence, you are not stewarding your body well. The other kind of physical rest that we need is brain rest. This is the rest required of people whose jobs require constant calculating, problem-solving, study and research and the like. Just like our body needs rest, one in seven, our brains need a one in seven rest as well. And that's the two types of rest that go into our physical rest, body rest and brain rest. So please, for the sake of yourself, your family, your work, your ministry, come away and rest. That's how God created it to work. But letter B, we also need to cease everything that disrupts intentionally worshiping God. Ceasing brain work and body work in order to rejuvenate our bodies is one thing. But spiritual rest does not arise from taking a break from spiritual things. In fact, as we search the scriptures, we see that spiritual rest comes when we are actively trusting and actively loving. Listen well. If we view a day of rest as an opportunity to engage in our own pleasure, to shelve the things of God and do what pleases us, God is not pleased. Resting physically is to cease from that physical work. Resting spiritually is to engage with spiritual work. Now, don't twist my words to fit your delusion. I'm not defining spiritual work as the work of a pastor or executive director of some nonprofit. The spiritual work is the fulfillment of the first and second greatest commandments. We are to love God and love others. Therefore, anything and everything that would distract us from intentionally and personally investing in our adoration of God and service of others needs to be ceased. Yes, but Aaron, aren't we supposed to love God and others all the time? That's not really something we shouldn't be doing earlier in the week, is it? So what's the difference? Well, consider 1 Corinthians 7. In a discussion concerning marriage, starting in verse 32, Paul explains how the unmarried individuals have an advantage in a certain regard. He says, But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. 
Now, we absolutely do not have time to unpack this anyway, but we do recognize that there are certain things of the Lord in which married people cannot fully participate because of the concerns of the world. They have divided interests because they have a spouse for whom to care. Are those of us who are married expected by God to love Him and serve Him and be a light in this dark world? Of course. But this passage shows us that we finite humans can only really do one thing at a time, and if I'm caring for my family, I can't be caring for someone else the way a single person could. What's the application here? The point I'm making is that, yes, of course, we're to love God and others every day of the week. But God designed the day of rest to be set aside and to be kept holy specifically to remove the dividing distractions, the concerns about the things of the world that could keep us from unencumbered love for God and others. The Sabbath was the day that the Jews engaged in intentional corporate and personal worship in which they couldn't engage if they were encumbered by weekly work. Adam and Eve were created sometime on the sixth day. Eve was potentially created very late on the sixth day. That means that their very first full day was spent resting with God, talking with Him, knowing Him, and enjoying Him. How beautiful a picture. This reality started at creation and will continue through eternity. The idea of taking a day to set aside the encumbrances of the world in order to fellowship with God and His people in an intentional way is not an Old Testament law concept. It's a whole Bible-spanning reality of the character and purpose of our God. So, we set aside that which will distract from physical rest and spiritual rest. And let us see, we need to cease everything that disrupts intentionally loving the people in our lives. I won't spend much time on this point, given everything that was said in the last. In the same way, we should specifically and purposely set aside a day to devote ourselves to the greatest commandment. We cannot fully love God if we're not loving others. This means that all selfish ambition, all personal pleasure, and all prideful self-worship needs to be set aside so that we can work toward God's best interest in the lives around us. And yes, what I said on the last point applies here as well. Of course, we should always be seeking to love others. There's never any time in a believer's life where selfish ambition, personal pleasure, and prideful self-worship is allowed. But the one in seven day of rest is a specific time to set aside the cares of the world to intentionally engage in corporate worship. It's a relational thing with God and with others set aside from all the encumbrances of worldly living. And lastly, letter D, we need to seize everything that distracts from our anticipation of future rest. Focused enjoyment on God and service of others is the very snapshot of our eternal future. In a way that we cannot even begin to imagine, all eternity for God's people will be perfectly fulfilling the first and second greatest commandments. And though there will be necessary work and glory— There will be none of the self-fulfilling, self-protecting, self-initiated, self-required, self-providing, laborious work. We will be free from all forms of self-worship and self-trust. None of our work will be tainted by the fall. And God desires that our day of rest in the here and now be a tiny, imperfect look into the glorious future He has planned for us. We need to set aside the laborious, self-providing work that so often tempts us to take our eyes off of God. But Aaron, you say, I need to work all seven days of the week or I'll never make ends meet. Well, first I would say, if that's really true, you need to reevaluate your standard of living. But more importantly, the day of rest has always been about trust. In the same way that you must trust God if you want to experience the most peaceful sleep, you must also trust God with your provision. Yes, it's true that you may have made poor financial choices that need some extra work in order to recover from them. But who are you trusting more to provide for you? If God is who he says he is, If God does all he says he does, and if God desires for us to rest from our work and rest in him, then what is more important, flexing my mortal muscles or trusting the omnipotence and wisdom of God? And that leads us to number three, the motivation for a day of rest is obedience. To truly give God the preeminence in our lives, we must obey him. 
it's wicked to profess God but live as practical atheists. It's never good enough to pay lip service while we offer our lives on the altar to self. True belief in God will always work itself out in our behavior. Living faith always produces Christ-honoring works. And when we love Him and work according to His purposes, we know that He will work out all things for His greatest glory and our greatest good. But the key is the intentionality. If we're intentionally trying to obey God for the purpose of simply enjoying our day off, we're doing exactly what the Jews did, and we're ultimately not obeying God. We need to engage in a day of rest because we're purposefully trying to please the Lord. Everything that follows is simply the blessing on the cake. Giving God the preeminence demands obedience to His commands and His example. That's it. That's the motivation. Therefore, don't cease from laborious work just to cease from work. Cease from the work that grows from trust in self, because that's what God commands. Let's obey Him in our resting. And now, of course, the big question on the table is, number four, what to embrace on a day of rest? On the past couple of episodes, we've repeatedly seen that the Sabbath was designed to accomplish three major things. First, mankind has a legitimate need for physical rest. Second, God wants us to rest spiritually. And third, it gives us an opportunity to anticipate our future rest. So, A, we need to embrace rest for our bodies. Now, this is where the rabbis messed up. In order to make sure everyone knew exactly what it was to rest their bodies, the rabbis made a list of subjective rules and demanded universal compliance. My friends, I refuse to do any of that to any of us. Long ago, I had a pastor say from the pulpit that men need to love their wives by opening their car door for them. What's really funny is that if I did that for my wife, that would do anything but communicate love for her. She would hate that. Should I love my wife? Yes. Should other men love their wives? Yes. But does that mean that we all must communicate that love in the same ways? No. And a day of rest is very similar. Let me give you a broad example. As was already mentioned, the Hebrew idea of rest simply referred to ceasing. Most specifically, it referred to ceasing from certain kinds of work we mentioned previously, the work that primarily is tied up in our own ability to provide for ourselves. But the idea of taking a break from one thing in order to engage in another does not inherently mean that the activity has to be, in and of itself, considered restful. For example, my job is exceptionally sedentary. Though I use a standing desk and often walk on a treadmill when I write, I never break a sweat or get anywhere near 10,000 steps in a day. I need to make those physical disciplines happen because they don't happen over the course of my job. That means that a break from my work often involves me getting out and doing something physically active. I work in the garden, I tend the bees, I hike with my family, I swim. I'm resting from my work by taking a break, but I rejuvenate and recreate by engaging in dissimilar activities, not merely more sedentary activity. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, but Aaron, I thought the whole point you made in the previous episodes was that we often push ourselves too hard and we need to learn to be less physically active. And well, that's true for a lot of people. I have no idea how many people listening to the sound of my voice are workaholics who don't give their minds or bodies a break. Some stock analysts burn themselves out by never taking a break from number crunching and research. Many construction workers never give their bodies a break from overtime. And both kinds of stress, brain stress and body stress, have a negative impact on our lives. We're not stewarding our bodies well when we don't have appropriate rhythms built into our weeks. Now, on one hand, I can definitely counsel a surgeon that she needs to get away from the hospital and engage in physical activities that stimulate her muscles, but at the same time, an an MMA fighter needs to get off his feet. Now, while my life accommodates body restfulness nearly every day, being a biblical counselor can be mentally taxing on my brain. Ceasing from my work often needs to be an endeavor that doesn't require deep meditation or carrying heavy spiritual burdens. 
On the other hand, those whose brains aren't as exercised as their muscles could use a rest that involves significant brain exercise. Here's the key. Healthy rest is a rest from our usual. We need a break from the norm. Consider your most productive work of the week. For many, it will be your jobs. For others, your school. And for others, your homes. Your day of rest will be most physically healthy when you take one day in seven to cease from that work and find rest in something else, something dissimilar. Now, the immediate question that arises is from the stay-at-home parents. If tending your home and caring for your children all week is your productive work, you can't very well take a break from parenting. How do people in that category rest? Well, let me say that it would be inappropriate for anyone to stop caring for those who cannot turn to anyone else. If it would be unthinkable for a farmer to refuse to water and feed his animals once a week, and it is, if it would be wrong to leave a man in a pit simply because he fell into it on a day of rest, which Jesus said it would, then it is never acceptable to stop doing the things that we always must do, loving the people in our lives. Now, before I clarify the role of parenting on a day of rest, I will say that it's completely appropriate and healthy and wise, if you're a stay-at-home parent, to avoid unnecessary chores on your day of rest. Vacuuming and laundry and cleaning the bathroom generally don't have to be done every day of the week. And when care is given to schedule such things around the day of rest, it's quite easy to make sure that none of the chores have to be done on the day. And I can say, as a man who worked from home for over eight years, this can and should be done for all the same reasons a restaurant manager or a mechanic or a CEO needs to rest one day in seven from their laborious, productive work. Now back to the question of whether such people get a break from parenting. Letter B, we need to rest our spirits. Now here's the integral reality of utter importance that we must believe. When we talk about physical rest, we refer to a ceasing of work. But like we said before, when we talk about spiritual rest, we're not talking about taking a break from spiritual things. Remember, we rest from work, but we rest in or to God. This means that all of the commandments in Scripture about loving others still stand. We need to continue evangelizing and discipling. Parenting falls under these categories just like every human relationship. I don't get to stop loving my wife on my day of rest. It's not about avoiding those who need help. That would be selfish. I need to one another and serve and invest in and disciple and parent and prefer others above myself. A day of rest isn't me time. It's not about self-care. Will it result in renewed physical and spiritual vitality? Definitely. But that's not the goal. It's just the benefits. The goal is to love others. So yes, even in the Old Testament, the Levites continued to do the work of offering sacrifices, and people helped animals out of pits, and doctors treated emergencies, and pastors tended spiritual emergencies in the flock. A day of rest is not a day to selfishly ignore the needs of others. And again, why do we do this? Well, as was mentioned earlier, spiritual rest involves setting aside those things that would distract us from serving others. But most importantly, we need to rest our spirits by removing the distractions that would keep me from worshiping God. Now, as we've said so many times, everything is an act of worship to God herself. Therefore, six out of seven days, God should be worshiped with our work. But he doesn't want that worship on our day of rest. And yes, caring for others and resting or exercising my brain and body should be offered as an act of worship to him. But it's also a good idea to increase our personal devotion, our time in prayer, time spent in the word, time spent praising God, and the time spent in corporate worship follows the pattern the scriptures lay out for us. And not only does God deserve this, not only does this provide all the benefits of resting from work and in God, but it also helps us look forward to our future rest in Christ. The return of Christ is to motivate all we do. In 2 Peter, Peter takes the first third of his letter to explain who God wants us to be, the second third to explain who God doesn't want us to be, and the third third to explain the motivation for the first and second thirds. Starting in 2 Peter 3.10, we read, 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. A day of rest is designed to have a stop and dwell on the joyous realities of our future with God. Okay, I feel like we're flying through this so quickly. So far, we've talked twice about the motivation for a day of rest, and we've looked at some general principles of what we shouldn't do on a day of rest and what we should do. And I have three more points to discuss. Number five, again, the motivation for a day of rest is conformity to Christ. We're building on this concept of motivation, and we keep revisiting it because it's so incredibly important. In order to give God the preeminence, which we saw in the first point, we must fully obey Him, which we saw in the third point, not merely in word and deed, but most importantly in our heart. And as we obey Him by doing the right thing in the right way, for the right reason, and in the right power, we are being conformed to the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. It's the beauty of progressive sanctification striving to be practically conformed to the image of Christ as we are positionally conformed to the image of Christ. Again, having the right motivation informs our day of rest. As I become like Christ, I am reminded of the future day that I will be glorified as He is glorified. We will be sinless like Jesus, and what a glorious day that will be. Obedience is a necessary part of our becoming holy. Holiness is setting something apart for a specific purpose. In the same way that God commanded that the day of rest be set apart for all the things about which we've been talking for the past three weeks, Participating in a weekly day of rest, specifically, and all true obedience, generally, is further setting us apart to God. Now, we've already hit on this, but I want to touch back to one reason that many Christians believe that the idea of Sabbath rest is no longer necessary for followers of Christ. I believe it was John Calvin, along with others, who argued that there was nothing unique to the Sabbath that Christians shouldn't be doing or enjoying every day. If I remember correctly, he had similar views about the holidays. Why set aside a day to celebrate God's goodness when we should be celebrating it every day? And though I agree that we should be growing in our sanctification every day, I believe the day of rest was designed to afford us undistracted time to emphasize that worship and that growth. Now, aside from a burning desire to have a clear, itemized list of what you are quote-unquote not allowed to do and what you're quote-unquote allowed to do, which neither I nor God are going to give to you, the remaining question on most of your minds is this. Number six when to have a day of rest. Letter A. There are those who argue for Saturday. I can see the value of continuing the seventh-day format God established in creation. I've been intentionally taking a day of rest for about five years now, and half of the time our family has chosen Saturday to be our day of rest. But for the first half of the time that my family was intentionally observing a day of rest, it was impossible for us to do that on Saturday because of my schedule at Victory Academy for Boys. Letter B. There are those who argue for Sunday. Since many people believe that Sunday has replaced Saturday as the best day to corporately worship the Lord, I can completely see the value in observing a day of rest on Sunday. However, again, for the first half of the time that my family was intentionally observing a day of rest, it was impossible for me to do it on Sunday because of my schedule at Victory Academy for Boys. Saturday and Sunday were my busiest days, and though I took the boys to church on Sunday, given the nature of life with at-risk teenagers— Sunday was definitely laborious work. And I would say that many of the same things could be argued for a pastor. And that's why I'm going to personally argue for this last point. Let us see, there are those who argue for 
any day. Again, a day of rest where we exercise our trust in God by removing the worldly distractions in order to love Him, love others, and engage in healthy rhythms of rest and anticipation is the expectation on our lives. Now, did God want the ancient Jews as a nation to observe this day on Saturday? Yes. Is it okay for modern believers to take a weekly one in seven rest on Sunday? Yes. But one in seven is the expectation from God. In fact, if we're getting really specific, there were many weeks on the Jewish calendar where they had more than one Sabbath. There was always a weekly Sabbath, but there were a number of high days on the holiday calendar that were extra Sabbaths. That means that the idea of rest didn't only ever have to fall on Saturday. There was flexibility for a number of them. And I believe that flexibility is just as free to us today. When I worked at the boys' home, my only day off was Monday. So guess what? Monday was my family's day of rest for the first few years. Now, personally, I like the idea of Saturday for its symbolism, but I love the idea of Sunday since most modern believers already meet for corporate worship on Sunday. But it doesn't have to be on Sunday. We can worship corporately in many ways, whether we're at church or not. Now, wouldn't it be cool to have more times of corporate worship during the week? Now, if you're going to encourage your local body of believers to observe their day of rest on Sunday, then I believe the church needs to reevaluate how they go about some of their programs and structure. Unfortunately, we've already used so much time today, I can't dive into that now. Perhaps it will have to be a future episode. So allow me to recap and then share one last thought. As we make God's expectations, character, and deeds our only motivation, we're going to want to set aside one day in seven so that we can cease from our worldly distractions, namely the work we do that's required to keep our world spinning. In order to embrace the work it takes to undistractedly love God, love others, give our physical selves the necessary rest we need, and look forward to the day we get to Sabbath with God for all eternity. And that leads to our seventh and final point for the day. Number seven, the motivation for a day of rest is evangelism. Points one, three, and five all brought our minds back to the most important concept of our weekly rest. Why are we doing it? What are we trying to accomplish? Point one set the foundation that God is to have the preeminence in all things. Point three developed that concept by reminding us that God will never be preeminent in our lives if we're not obeying Him. Then point five unpacked the idea of sanctification. As we give God the preeminence in our lives by obeying Him, we will be conformed to the image of Christ. And so our final piece comes from Matthew 5:16, And it says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The only reason God leaves believers on this earth is that He wants to use us to draw others to Him. Our devotion to God that produces obedience needs to cause the world to think differently about our God. And as we are matured into the image of Christ, our light becomes brighter, our salt saltier, and our obedience more glorifying. Our day of rest plays into this in a beautiful way. When God's people intentionally participate in a God-motivated, counter-cultural, and counter-intuitive day of rest, it should cause the world to stop and think. Let's be honest. A day of rest dedicated to resting from laborious work and resting in God will look weird to the world. Why do you not fill in the blank? And why do you fill in the blank? Those questions give us opportunities to magnify God and introduce others to Him. Therefore, in conclusion, the motivation for a day of rest is the same as everything else we do. God deserves the preeminence in our lives. Therefore, we must obey Him, be conformed to His image, and point the world to Him. And I believe that though I haven't done it the justice it deserves, we've seen that God's core expectations for a one in seven day of rest are just as relevant and alive as they were on the seventh day of creation. He wants us to steward our bodies in a healthy way. 
He wants us to steward our bodies and brains in a healthy way. He wants us to steward our spirits in a healthy way by giving special weekly attention to loving Him and loving others. And He wants those experiences to focus our minds on the glorious future He has planned for all of His people, which in turn stokes the fire we have for continuing to give God the preeminence in all things in the here and now. In order to accomplish this, we simply need to cease from the work that is necessary for life. That includes the jobs which provide the money or materials necessary to live, as well as the daily tasks that keep our little world spinning. As we set these aside, we not only have more time to focus on truly resting in God, but we exercise our trust in Him. And then we get to engage in all the work necessary to rest in Him. I hope that this has given you a lot about which to think. I pray that you will continue to study this. I pray that you will be open to knowing God's mind on the subject, and I pray that you too will learn to appreciate and take advantage of the rest God wants for all of his people. It's not just a future rest. It's not just a spiritual rest. It's also a weekly physical rest designed to conform you to the image of Christ and draw the world to him. Please share this episode on your favorite social media outlets so that other disciples of Christ can be challenged with this study. And, of course, join us next time as we seek to better know, love, and worship God and help the people in our lives do the same. To that end, we'll be discussing how to worship God in July. If you want to know God better, celebrate Him more, and help the ones you love to do the same, subscribe to this podcast and visit celebrationofgod.com to learn more about this dynamic discipleship resource. And remember, the Celebration of God is a listener-supported ministry.